you probably recognize, uh, this is not your uh, gentle host, Jim Reed. Uh, I am filling in for Jim uh, this week, uh, but I am Chris Jones, uh, 5B5 on Twitter and 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. Um, thanks for joining us. We're really excited about this week's episode. We've got, we're uh, joined by Luke Hanna, halfway around the world in Australia. We're really excited to talk to him. Uh, before we get started, uh, the Rec Poker Podcast, as always, is brought to you by the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. We're grateful uh, for their support and remind you that they have a really big series coming up in March. The MSPT is coming back into town, um, so check out uh, their website for all the details around that. Um, that is always a fantastic series. Uh, they do a great job of hosting it and, and they're really expanding their offerings there. You know, they've got the main event that's always been the bread and butter, but now they're adding mystery bounties and, uh, some tag team events. There's a lot of things circling around that. There's some mixed games as well. So check out the, the, um, the full schedule there running aces, um, and be sure you, uh, if you can make it, make your way down to Running Aces uh, when that takes place. But before we get started with Luke, I wanted to introduce our other two uh, Wrecking Crew members uh, joining us today. Uh, so, uh, Wrecking Crew, uh, who, who else is uh, joining us today on today's episode? Uh, I'm Troy Chapman, and I'm Chapo Australia in the home guard. I am John Somsky, and I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. And we are so fortunate to be uh joined by luke hanna uh luke welcome to the rec poker podcast thank you so much for having me here i'm super excited to be here um yeah looking forward to you know having a bit of a chin wag with everyone here and, and going going on yeah yeah i love it i love it you know one of, one of the things that we uh tend to uh ask all our guests. Um, and I think I, I, just before we got on the call, you were mentioning you've had sort of, you know, you're a player yourself, but you've have you've had some roles. You did you you worked in social media for some poker uh organizations. Um, we always like to ask our guests, you know, where do you place yourself in the poker world? If somebody asks you, you know, how do you describe yourself to somebody at a party who doesn't play poker? Like, how do you describe what is your place or role in the poker world? Um I, I actually, I generally say that, um, you know, I play poker seriously, but um, really just like for fun as well. Like I I really want to make sure that when I'm playing, I'm having a good time. And I think that's very important. And I think um, whenever I've actually been um, engaged and having fun and, you know, talking on the table and stuff like that, I think I've actually posted some of my best results. So um, I tend to lean into that pretty heavily. Um, and, you know, I think if everyone has a good experience on the table, you know, it's only going to be good for poker. So that's, yeah, my tend to mindset, a, a serious, taking it serious, but also making sure that, yeah, I have fun. And, and you know, that's one of the things that we often talk about um, on the podcast is, you know, there's so much, uh, there's so much growth in the game with solvers and the education side and taking the game seriously and people sort of staring each other down, putting on their headphones, not really like the, the human side of the game can kind of get lost. Um, and I think it is so important, uh, especially for the lifeblood of the game to have sort of more recreational players involved to keep the game fun. And so what are some of the things that you think uh, that either you yourself or that the game itself could do to like, to make sure that the, the game stays a game and, 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 and be, is fun. Um, um, sure. Like, I mean, I think like, you know, as somebody who takes the game seriously, I mean, I think there are things that, 
um, you know, as a player that I can do. And I think other people who take the game more seriously can do to just give that good time to the recreational uh, people who are playing just for fun. And you have to, you really have to remember um, you know, people play poker for different reasons. Some people do play to to make money, and other people, you know, it's a, it's a time thing, and they and they're coming to have fun with friends or or, or whatever it is. Um, and you don't really want to ruin that fun because they they won't play um, if, if you do that. So um, you know, the, generally, I, I'm talking on the table. I'm, I'm really engaging with everybody. Um, and then like, I mean, like you can kind of see my shirt. I, I kind of, um, I think poker is actually, um, I don't know. I, I, I look at, I look at a poker room and I see everyone in gray and, and black and, and that's not Brexit. fun for me. So I, I kind of go out of my way to, to have colorful shirts. And, and I actually think like Troy's seen me a bunch of times with my ridiculous shirts. And, uh, I think like the more, the loud, the, the, the better really, um, yeah, for, for I've actually seen a lot of people come through and, and start to wear their own colorful shirts now. So it's actually been fun to see that happen. A couple of people join in the fun. Yeah, yeah. For our audio listeners, you should uh, at least just check one glance at the, the video version of this on YouTube because uh, you, you will get a full picture of the shirt, which I do love. I think it's pretty awesome. And, we, you know, like we had... Um, you know, I think we, we've had some really famous examples of this. The the World Series of Poker a few years ago, uh, the main event had John Hess, but I don't remember if you remember his sort of r- yeah. deep run into the final table. He was always wearing really electric uh, kind of wonderful outfits. I think it really brought kind of a, a sense of, of liveliness to the game when he was playing. It was pretty great. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that was, that was actually a, a really you know, good thing for poker as well, you know, have somebody who, um, yeah, is actually just having a good time on the, on the poker table, uh, and playing and, and, you know, just, yeah, I think showing what actually poker should be. I think, you know, um, again, like just, just to add more to that, like, you know, like everyone's on the table, you know, like you everyone, some people, I think like, you know, excessive tanking and that sort of thing. It's just, there's just not as much of a need for it these days as what I think there used to be. And, and I think it does take away from some of the fun aspect and, you know, sometimes, um, you know, the people do who do take it the most serious, um, you know, can step back a little bit and go, do I really need to take like a minute versus this this person who really doesn't really play that often, um, you know, and, and maybe lose a little tiny bit of EV for like the long-term um, gain of poker? Yeah, yeah. And I know uh, Troy has a question, but I just wanted to follow up one, one last uh, question on, uh, to sort of follow that piece up and just sort of ask... Um, so you've mentioned like taking the game seriously uh, a few times. So what does that mean to you? Like, what is your, what, what does it mean to, for um, a player who's at, you know, like we can talk a little bit about some of your results uh, as we kind of get going, but uh, what does that mean to you to take, take the game seriously? Is this a, do you have a regular study regiment? Do you, you know, do you review what you've played? What, what, how do you take the game seriously? Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm probably, um, probably the least orthodox, um, poker player, to be honest. Um, I don't really, I wouldn't say my strength is, um, in regards to studying GTO or anything like that. I've actually seen that, um, my best, uh, methods for studying is, um, some like real live situations. So I think there's a few, um, poker coaches on YouTube and stuff that actually have like call-in shows with like real hands. So, um, you know, and having that spoken out in a real, uh, real life situation rather than just on like pen and paper, mm-hmm. um, has been a thing. I think like, um, 
one of the best books that um, I ever read was uh, Gus Hansen's Every Hand Reveal. Yeah. And um, I actually fashioned a lot of my game around that book um, and his style in Australia. And it's been uh, pretty successful, but um, very exploitive um, with a little bit of math thrown in. Uh, but, um, you know, I think like the adaptiveness of my game um, has shown to um, really bring out some good results. Um, and that's what I kind of mean by taking it seriously. Yeah, like I'm, I'm always involved in poker. I'm like listening to it. Um, you know, he's calling show on the car drive over to a game or something along those lines. But because it's like a real life situation, um, I tend to resonate with it better. Hmm. Great, great. Uh, Troy, you you wanted to jump in here. So, uh, g'day, Luke. Um, g'day, so Troy. The- Good to see you hey, again. Mate. <laughs> so, uh, just for our listeners, can you give us a little bit of a background on where you are in poker? So, uh, I know that we both play in Sydney. Can you give everyone a little bit of a rundown what the Sydney um, or Australian poker market looks like and the sort of buy-in levels and where you try to concentrate your play for us? Sure. I mean, um, I think Sydney is is very unique. I think we're very blessed here in Australia. Um, we have an absolute um, huge amount of um, uh, poker businesses in um, in Sydney. We probably have five or six uh, plus poker leagues in the area. Um, and the buy-in ranges of like anywhere from free rolls, which are like, you know, where they guarantee 350. I mean, um, I don't play those, but, um, you know, they have uh, pro, I think APL has like a pro series, for like $22 all the way up to, you know, they've started doing their own little poker uh, poker tours um, and they've gone up to $2,500 buy-ins um, in clubs. We, we actually have um, a lot of our leagues um, allowed to actually uh, play out in clubs in Australia. So um, that's why we have such an exorbitant amount of um, leagues and a lot of players uh, playing in all those leagues. Um, I tend to focus my um buy-ins at around that 200 to 300 for 450 like range um i do play some of the bigger ones um in that like 1150 kind of buy-in um on an occasion but um i tend to be very selective um i myself have found that um i kind of want to have 100 percent of myself in in all these games um some people sell action um and and I have done in the past, but I've just fi- found that um, for me personally, um, you know, I think on that bubble or whatever, like I kind of want, I feel like you get a little bit nervous, you know, you want to do so well for your friend because usually you're selling to somebody you know really well um, and you want to give them that return. Um, but it is always nice, you know, saying, oh, I've won this tournament. Here's, uh, you know, 30 or 50x what you uh, you put in, um, to to uh, you know believe in me, but um, yeah, I, I, I tend to do that. You know, two to five hundred range is probably my um, sweet spot. Okay, and when you're considering, so you've got your um, in the morning, you wake up and you've got four hundred dollars sitting on the table, and you're ready to rock and roll for the day. Yeah. Um, what do you take into consideration in uh, looking at event A versus event B? Um, sure. Like, I mean, I think. Um, for me personally, um, again, um, I'm looking for very, um, select things. So I, I'm looking for, um, leagues that I know the players leagues that, um, you know, look, I've, I've put up some good results because, um, you know, whether it's the structure is a little bit better or, um, you know, I, 
do well against their particular um, play style. I, I think I found in Sydney that um, certain players, um, uh, certain leagues uh, have different styles depending on um, which one you do play. So some some are very limp and donk lead heavy. Some are uh, very um, three bet heavy. Some um you know like a, a very like do have you know some check raise some people limp with like their big pocket pairs but each league seems to have some uniqueness um or some are extra corly like they don't really let go um so i for me um i i want to see the value i think like that is the biggest thing i'm really trying to like table select kind of like a tournament uh and pick where i think whether there's going to be some sort of overlay in the tournament um, I think that's one of my favorite words. Um, if there's going to be an overlay in a tournament, you'll probably see my see me there, um, or if there's a chance for it. Um, but also, yeah, like I mean, um, APT, um, you know, have some great games, and I've had some great success there, which we'll probably go into a bit later. But um, you know, their structures um, are, are pretty decent, um, and also like they have that hundred plus kind of runner. Um, total and um, I, I feel like I, I generally run deep um, and as you kind of know um, I think in Sydney we're kind of used to um, faster blind structures um, here so we, we generally have that 15 minute to 30 minute um, levels um, with APT being a poker tour having like more close to that 30 minute level so um, I've had some um, pretty deep runs in in there um, and I think also like um, Poker Palace are doing they do some really amazing structures as well. So their games as well. So those are, those are probably some of the, the ones that I like to look at for. Yeah. So, so cool. So oh, go ahead, Troy. Sorry, Chris. No, no. So I was just going to follow on from that. We were talking about the size field that we're talking about, Luke. Um, do you have any particular strategies that you're using to help navigate that size field? So um, that you can might be able to share with our listeners. So keeping in mind that a lot of our listeners are also trying to play in those sort of $300 stakes. And there might be some guys out there that just don't have success with it and others that do. Um, so, and if you're running deep and I know that you've got a, a good history, which we'll go through. Um, so I'd like to hear if you can share any of those sort of default strategies that you might use in these larger field uh, events. Yeah, sure. I mean, despite the fact that I'm going to be playing against you at some point in the future, Troy. <laughs> um, Two weeks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, I mean, I think my game, um, I've spent a long time um, evolving it. So I think, you know, I've been playing something like 15 years um, and like I kind of already alluded to, I, I kind of built out on on um, Gus Hansen's uh, playing style, very aggressive. Um, I think back then you were kind of used to um, 3Xing, pre and that sort of thing um but nowadays i think um it's kind of been shown to be a bit more correct especially to the middle to late stages in a tournament where you've got you know 20 to 30 bigs um you really want to be making a lot of small sizing so um for me personally it's it's a lot around small sizing and keeping the pressure on um i think um you're really able to define people's ranges very well with a lot of small size bets um, especially late in tournaments um, when I think, you know, to some, you know, the money and the pay jumps and, you know, the bubble might be, you know, more prominent to others. Um, and, and like you do have to adjust to each person because I think, um, you know, some people actually don't don't care whether they bubble or not and some people actually, you know, really do care. So you really got to pick which people you are 
um, doing some picking on. But um, I think a lot of si- a small sizing and a lot of pressure forcing them to make the decisions um, and leaving yourself with, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't ever really want to be making myself have the tough decision. I want them to be having the tough decision. Um, so I think that's a lot of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's like very, cool. very key. I, so I've got I've got lots of follow up questions to this, um, and, and you'll find out we're not even broadcasting this. is This is just to get all your secrets for Troy to play you in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Um, that, but um, so uh, you know, one of the things that that uh, you, you mentioned uh, speaking about that is sort of like game selecting, and I think that's something that tournament players don't think about as often as, I mean, a cash game player, you know, that's something they think about all the time. Is my table the right place? Is my seat the right place? Should I get up and leave? Am I feeling good today? And tournament players are just kind of like, well, this is the tournament. I'm going to go enter it. And it's, you know, I don't get to pick where my seat is. So I don't have much say in this. So let's just go. But can you talk a little bit more about, you know, like some of the things that you think about as you're uh, deciding when you're going to play, where you're going to play, you know, you know, you've mentioned these sort of different clubs that have different styles. What what is the best style to play against, in your opinion? Like what what kind of opponent? And this is maybe helpful for for some of our listeners, I think, uh, in thinking about their own game styles. Like, what is the easiest style to play against? Um, sure. Okay. Um, uh, I, I guess like one thing at a time. So um, the I, I think like. Um, tournament selecting, yeah, I, I think is very underappreciated. Like, I mean, we uh, we have so much um, tournaments on offer in Australia at the same time, and we actually have so many um, mini poker tours that are going on all the time. Um, you can kind of, um, I guess, like get a grasp of, um, you know, uh, which tournaments all the, all, like all the, you know, stronger opponents are going to be playing in based on whether it's a guarantee or whatever. Um, but you can kind of say, okay, well, this tournament might be a bit further away, um, but has a similar guarantee. Um, but I think that might have some sort of overlay there. Um, and that tournament area tends to be, you know, like a grassroots, um, you know, uh, poker company. So um, whether in Australia, we actually have a lot of our um, our poker leagues give away tickets into bigger tournaments. Mm-hmm. So um, what you can find is some of those players actually, um, you know, are, are free rolling in these tournaments um, essentially. Um, and it kind of does lead to, you know, a softer field. So, um, you know, versus a straight buy-in tournament that might be, you know, 30 minutes away. So um, I think paying attention to, you know, a grassroots company versus, you know, um, a straight buy-in and, and, watching the guarantees versus the buy-in, um, I think is very important um, for me. And that's generally what I do to try and like pick which games that I'm actually going to turn up to um, and, and that. Um, talking about probably the easiest person, people to play to, I think um, I think we just have to be like the limpers. Um, you know, I, I think my game um, is actually tailor-made against that style. So I personally um, do do my best against them um when they're limping you know um you know i i think like i was playing a game the other day you know like i just had like a lot of people limping i'm i'm doing a lot of small sizing like i'm actually probably 
under raising in my size, but my frequency is very high. And then um, my sizing on the flop is very dedicated to um, my raising range size, uh, hands hand ranges versus their limp ranges and um and i can kind of size down or up depending on that um and then you know half the time they're limping and then donk leading so it kind of you know it, you know tells me oh they've got top hair with weak kicker or, or whatever and i kind of just get to you know start piling money into the pot with just one pair knowing that um you know they're very reluctant to let go um, but also like not giving them an out like i'm not gonna let you like essentially flip your hand over and tell me what you have and then get away from it. I'm going to make you um, make tough decisions for just right prices, you know, uh-huh. so like you're, yeah, I'm going to have ace king you're going to have king, you know, eight and, and there's a king on the board. Don't lead into me. And, and then I'm going to like, you know, click in a little bit like, and just really force you to, you know, by the river, have a tough decision for, you know, a half size pot uh, jam and not know what to do. Right, right. No, I love this. And this actually kind of leads into some of the, you know, the, this month, uh, Rec Poker has been really talking about seabedding um, a lot. And we've been talking about, uh, we're kind of breaking it up into talking about seabedding ranges, like what do we seabed? What do we check back? When do we, and then we're also talking about seabed sizing. We're talking about what are the kinds of boards where we want to go really tiny? What are the kind of boards where we want to kind of go a little bit sort of something in between, like a little bit medium? And what are the kind of boards where we want to go really big sometimes when we do seabed? Um, I'm curious about just some of your approaches playing against these fields. Um, you've already mentioned one when you're playing against limpers. Um, but I'm curious about your sort of your general thoughts about your approach to seabedding um, at this kind of th- this kind of bread and butter size for the the recreational player that kind of three hundred kind of dollar range tournament. You know what what is some of your thoughts about seabedding? Um, yeah, look, I mean, I probably I think you have to remember that you know you don't need to uh, one you don't need to seabed every single flop. So um, I think. You know, some people just automatically default to uh, seabed 100%. And, and I don't necessarily think that that's, that's the correct course of action. Um, I think, you know, it does very much depend on the board um, texture um, and the person you're playing against. Like like I've kind of said, I kind of adapt and, 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 and adjust my um, style based on who I'm playing against. So, um, you know, against, you know, whether it's Troy or somebody else, like I'm going to play differently compared to other players uh, and their styles. So, you know, some people, their checks absolutely mean that they they just don't have top pair. Their, their range is very, very weak. Um, again, like they're going to lead if they have top pair or better. So um, I kind of know um, where I'm at in the hand and then I think get to continue to put pressure. Um, but um, in regards to like my sizing, um, I, I, think, I think, again, it does very depend on um, the flop texture. Like you shouldn't just be C betting, you know, a third, even though, you know, I think that is very much in trend these days um, to bet a third or like quarter pot. Um, I think, you know, um, you need to mix betting um, your range and your actual hand versus their actual range. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'll give an example. Like like if the board is like king 4-4 four, four and you've raised pre, you can very much down bet very small on that board knowing they're not going to be able to continue with a, with a wide range of hands and you're going to put pressure on those, those um, pairs. Um, and you're going to have 
you know, Ace King, and then you're going to have some, some bricks as well in there. Um, and then, you know, on the other hand, you know, like, like, let's say like you've decided to um, raise with some suited connector late, uh, late position, and you've got called out of the blinds or something along those lines. Um, and then you've, you've hit top pair, but you've got like say seven, eight on a seven high board. Um, you know, that flop, you can kind of down bet small as well. Like you're actually betting your hand rather than your range. Um, so I think it's all, it's all very dependent on as well, like who you're playing, because like, if you know that this guy out of the small blind is, is, you know, likely to have some um, check raises, you can start checking back some of the hands um, like that, you know, um, jack high, 10 high boards, um, even, even with um, some equity in the hand, because you don't necessarily need to get blown off uh, that hand and put in a tough um, situation yourself. Um, Because I think at the end of the day in poker, the more uh, you can make them have a tough situation and and you not being in a tough situation um, is, is really the goal here. Yeah. 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 No, thanks. That's actually, it's, uh, you, you bring up a, a really uh, great, the King four, four board really spoke to me because it's a very similar board to one we've been talking a lot about uh, this month. Uh, we've been talking about uh, a queen deuce deuce board, which feels very similar in that, yeah. you know, they either they either have it or they don't, and it's really hard to play against whatever size you're you're kind of betting, no matter what. So why not go small with that kind of that kind of board? Um, so I, actually, I want to turn you know for for our audience that may not know you, um, I want to turn to some of the results. I mean, I it, it um, I you know I, I pull up your hand and mob page here, and it's just littered with third, second, first, fifth. Second, sixth, second, seventh, fifth, seventh, second, first, first. I mean, it's just there's just, and this is just in the last you know year, let's say. Um, yeah. So tell tell us. He's I a, mean, he's tell a busy us, boy. Tell us about <laughs> uh, you know. Tell us about all these deep runs. Tell us about you know like you know where where you think your poker game is at, and like how how are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like look, I mean. I've had some great results lately, um, you know, and I think I've been really building. I, I had, um, I started to really ramp up just pre-COVID and then um, obviously we had that gap and I, it just took me a little bit to get back into the click of things. I feel like, um, you know, Poker Live especially, you've just got to get back into the swing of things. Um, and and I did, and then I've managed to have all these great runs um, in the APT. And, and again, like that's in that sweet spot of that two to $500 range where we're getting that um, larger fields. I, I, I tend to do really, really well against, um, you know, I, I generally do not have an issue, um, you know, like I think we play about 10%, 12.5% in, in Australia in most of our games and we're very, very top heavy. Um, but I, I generally don't have an issue um, making those deep runs, especially when um, the uh, blinds have um, slightly gone up in um, in time um, because I'm so used to playing 15 minutes that when you're playing 30 or 40 minutes um, or more, um, all of a sudden it, it's such um, it, it's just absolutely like so enjoyable to play. And then obviously, like again, just a lot of that like Daniel Legrano kind of like small ball, really putting people under that constant pressure and. And also, I, I really think like I, I've, you know, speak. Uh, sorry, I speak with a lot of my, a uh, couple of my friends, really, really close friends that I trust um, within the poker community, 
And um, I think like also just really taking the time to make a decision. You know, um, you have ace high on the river or king high on the river and, um, you know, taking that extra, you know, 10 seconds and going, what do I put them on? You know, I, I think like a couple of times um, I've gotten to the river um, and thought about a hand and gone, wait a minute, like I only have king high, but I actually don't think they have anything the way the hand is played out. What what do I actually put them on? Took that extra couple of, you know, seconds and then gone from, I probably would have auto-marked to going, okay, well now I have to call off like a, a 70% pot bet in this in this polarized spot and, and, and being correct. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I have, I do remember, I think my greatest ever, um, uh, story is, is exactly like that, where, um, I was in like a deep stack and it was just small blind versus big blind versus a great, very aggressive person, the big blind. And I think I had King nine of diamonds or something along those lines, but I knew the player in the big blind was very aggressive. Um, I think the blind was something like three, six. Um, and I, so I just limped, um, not wanting to get blown off my hand. Um, that person flattered, and then the flop was um, ace, ace, ten, eight, two diamonds. Um, I proceeded to bet um, small, so I bet like uh, eight or ten k. Um, oh, not that small, but <laughs> half pot. Um, and uh, that person proceeded to call. Turn was in a, a seven, so now I turned it up and down with the flush draw. Um, I ramped up my bet pretty massively. I think I bet like thirty five k or something along those lines. Um, the big line proceeded to call and then the river um, paired the eight and I've made, I've made it to the river with a King high at this point. Um, and I've gone to check and I'm like, oh, I'm going to like, if she bet, if this person bets, I'm just going to fold. And um, the person then bets something like 70% pot, like 70,000 or something along those lines. And I started to w- walk through the hand. I started to think, you know, um, would this person, um, does this person have an ace? Well, I don't really think so. Like, I think there would have been a race prep from this really aggressive player. You know, um, I've really typed, typed them well. Um, are they doing it with um, an eight? Well, I, I don't think they're getting to the river with an eight the way I've bet. Um, so I, do they have like a 10 and they're just value betting a 10? Well, I just didn't think with this polarized sizing that they were betting a 10. Um, so I really didn't know what hand that this player was trying to represent on this river um, and proceeded to go from folding to calling um, in this really, really big spot. And then, um, yeah, that, that player ended up rolling over Jack five of diamonds and I was, I was correct. And they were um, quite flabbergasted by, by that call, but by taking that extra time to think through what hands they have and also thinking what they think I have um, really did, did well for me in this hand and managed to make me win that pot that I probably would have just folded. I love that. I love that. Cause that's, I mean, that's, that's the kind of like things that I think players don't do enough of where they're really thinking about those end game spots and being like, it's a scary board. There's straights. There's like, you know, now it's paired. So there's full houses and there's all kinds of things that are available, but how, how can our opponent have much of that? Right. It's just that I, I love that. I mean, the, the, that's the kind of things that we should be, we should be doing so do you have a process uh when you're in those kind of spots or is it just about like you know w- what kinds of questions do you ask yourself uh and how, how do you kind of break down when you're in, in a really difficult river decision or even earlier decision sure um look i mean i think like like i said like i mean i'm just really trying to think through 
um, you know, that player particular style, what I've seen from them. And, and I think that's very key. Like I think taking time, even when you're not in a hand to observe people, what they're doing, like, I feel like everyone has their own tendencies in poker. And I think like, you know, my game especially, but I think a lot of people just don't take advantage of what is this player doing? What, what is their key tendencies in poker and how can I use that to my advantage? You know, so whether that is, you know, hey, that person only ever donk leaves with top pair or that person donk leaves with draws only or like this person check raises draws only or like whatever. So like paying attention in those hands, putting people in hands when you're not actually involved in that pot. Um, you know, you can, be, you can be talking, you can be having a good time with your table, but also taking that extra, you know, um, pay, like paying attention extra during um, hands that you're actually involved in can actually pay dividends and um, mm-hmm. in, in, in hands where you're going to be put in a tough situation and you're going to be really glad that you were paying attention previously. Uh, John, and, it looks like you've unmuted. Yeah, we have a chat or a question from the chat. Eric Anderson yeah. asks, you mentioned Galfan and Negranu. Who or what do you study now? Um, yeah, okay. So right now, um, I actually just mainly listen to um, Gus Hansen's uh, Cash Game podcast. Um, I love his uh, thing. I've actually recently um, joined um, his uh, Crush Live uh, poker um, site as well to get some extra study in. Um, but I have uh, been playing a little bit more cash lately. Um, their cash games in um, Sydney is also like kind of boomed here. So um, outside of the casino and they're actually rake free in Australia. So um, I've been playing a little bit extra of those. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think also like a lot of it has been through like books like Gus Hansen's Every Hand Revealed or um, Phil, I, I think my my first ever book that I read was Phil um, Phil Gordon's uh, Little Green Book. And I think that is the greatest book um, for a beginner to get involved. Um, and then I think I've read something along the lines of like poker, uh, poker theory. I think that was... Um, I can't remember who wrote it, um, but I, I do remember the comparison of poker to um, rock, paper, scissors with, um, you know, chips beating cards, uh, position beating cards and, and chips beating position kind of kind of mentality. So I thought that was like a unique take. But, um, yeah, those are like kind of the things that I've been um, reading and, and then looking at at this moment. And then um, what is your play to study ratio? Okay, I, I my play to study ratio is actually probably um probably very small. I would I would say me personally, um, probably I'm I'm gonna say maybe like that ten to twenty percent range at this moment. Um, again, like I am um more of a, a active um learner so uh, again it has to be like i do find that i absorb information easier when it's like a real life situation so that's why listening to podcasts in the car um and that sort of thing have um, i think really helped with my game um especially in the traffic so uh, (laughs) that's been pretty good so you're saying it'd be like a nine to one play to study ratio you'd play nine hours study one yes roughly yeah and john i think you'd be remiss if you didn't ask the, the the final uh audience question yeah. So uh does Troy's money 
spend better than everyone else's. I, uh, yeah, uh, like I mean, especially when you knock him out right close to the bubble, it's just it's just extra sweet, you know. Like uh, he's shocking awe when you roll over your hand that you shouldn't have, and and his explanation of how do you have that hand um, is always really great. So I, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I, I don't think anybody else's money is is quite as good as Troy's. That's definitely yeah. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're all looking forward. I, I I think Troy has some uh, plans to come to the U.S. Uh, and 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 I mean the poker community here is a buzz. There's just there's just excitement. There's parades planned. It's just like you know it's 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 <laughs> we're we're all going to be rich. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean. He's he's got to financially plan for that uh, <laughs> that 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 big loss of uh, loss of income, right? Like uh, <laughs> when he goes over there, um, <laughs> I, I've managed to play over in the in the US um, a couple of times actually myself. Um, yeah, I was actually just going to ask you about that because uh, it was a nice segue. So yeah, looks you have a result. Um, most of your results are are in Australia. Uh, but you do have a result at the WSOP. I actually watched before this. I watched your interview that you gave <laughs> uh, at the WSOP. Um, so to, I mean, and that and it was that was that was your first WSOP cash. Was what was that your first time going to the WSOP? That was my first WSOP tournament. Yeah, nice, nice. Ever so that was the like... million, millionaire maker. You had a very deep run in the millionaire maker in 20, 2018, Was it? Uh, yep, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, you know, what was that experience like? Uh, you know, a lot of our a lot of our audience uh, have also maybe not been to the WSOP and are kind of looking forward to their first. I know some of our listeners are are planning their first trip this summer. Um, you know, what what's that experience? What was that experience like for you? Um, I, I, absolutely unreal. I, I really didn't know what to expect. You know. Um, it, it was quite um, quite interesting. So um, at that time, I was working um, as a social media manager for, for Global Poker, um, and I told my boss, "Hey, um, I think this was like a Monday or a Tuesday." And I said, "Hey, I want to go to Vegas on Friday," um, and and uh, I gave him three days' notice, and and he goes, "Yeah, sure, no problem." Um, <laughs> so I managed to book a flight um, and get uh, my visa and everything sorted. Got there on Friday. Um, you know, ran, ran into some random, you know, friends from Australia that were like, vis- like playing and visiting, which was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, but just, I think walking down that, um, what casino was it at? Um, well, it was at the Rio back in those Rio, days. Rio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Walking down that hallway, just with all those players. Like, I think that millionaire maker had something in the range of seven and a half thousand runners. And I think it was, uh, four day ones with one rebuy per flight. So my first shot, I managed to make it through. I think um, I think there was a big adjustment um, for me. Um, you know, I, I kind of got there and I saw, um, you know, pe- I thought people were a lot more trappy than w- what they are in Australia. In Australia, I think it's it's more th- betting thin than anything else. And I, and I kind of had to really adjust really quickly because uh, people were flatting, you know, three bets with Kings and stuff like this. And, and I'm like betting off two streets. And I think I checked back on a river when I had top, top with like ace queen and he rolled over Kings and I was kind of shocked, but I felt something was going on. So, um, but I think if I remember correctly, it was a seven and a half thousand starting stack and 40 minute blinds. Um, and 
Um, in Australia, even at that point, we've definitely evolved. Everything has gone well up in regards to chip starting stacks. Mm. So, um, you know, we've got 20, 30, 40,000 starting stacks, 50,000 starting stacks. Um, but we've also increased the minimum blind level. So, like, I think our blind level start at, like, 1-1 one, one or 1-2 one, now. So, um, they've, they've just progressed everything up. And I think that has been, like, to, to target more recreational players because, you know, they want to have more chips to play with, even if the blinds start a bit higher. So I think that's the reason why it's kind of gone that way. But um, yeah, I like, I managed to battle my way through, um, you know, again, just adjusting to, you know, different people's play style. Um, and as soon as you made day two, you cashed. Um, I was very excited when I made the day two, um, proceeded to come back. I think I was staying at Bally's. Um, they had just recently renovated their rooms and, and I had a spa in the lounge room. So I was very happy with that. <laughs> so I was soaking in in the spa in, uh, in between that <laughs> after the long day. Um, I think I was even handing out free energy drinks at that point, so I was uh, pinching a couple of those. Um, yeah, and then and then managed to um, yeah build a stack. I think I um, yeah like managed to take advantage of like a hand where I had aces or something, and somebody jammed and I flatted, and I got the other person to overcall and then get it in. Um, wow. When, when he had ace queen or something so um managed to you know build a chip stack and then um i think i battled somebody late and i kind of um uh tried to put him to a test but um he decided to make a hero call against me on a river uh, um I, I kind of turned like a pair into a bluff and and, and got caught out so <laughs> that didn't quite work yeah, that's uh that's how those tournaments often end, right? Is some some way we we get called up. But but uh so would you go back? Is that is that kind of in, in the plans at some point? Yeah, look, I mean I definitely plan to go back. Um I I'm actually to be honest, like I probably not this year, but probably it might be like next year. Mm-hmm. I kind of just want to do like the circuit. Like I think like everyone everyone's dream is like you get a ring or a bracelet like i really want to do like just a circuit for like you know six months or whatever yeah. it is i'm allowed to as lo- however long you guys will allow me to stay um and do a trip around america go see if i can you know hunt down a ring or a bracelet and, and i think that's like a bucket list of like most players so yeah that would definitely be my goal that'd be awesome that'd be awesome i i, yeah, I think a lot of people Kind of make that run they come to the wsp either before or after they do a little bit of ring hunting as well so that that sounds like a, a good plan um well you know um i think i i want to ask if there's any other yeah troy it looks like you've unmuted anybody else you know our audience if you have any questions we're gonna probably be wrapping up here with luke so let's get those final questions fired up there but uh troy i'll turn it turn it over to you hi Logan. so just a quick question mate what are you've got what have you got planned for the rest of the year rest of the year um yeah sure so um i've got um apd coming back to sydney um i know they're also going to have um a couple of big tournaments so i mean i'm definitely planning to play some of those leagues um i do also want to i think in the future i've been throwing tossing up the idea um uh, of streaming um, some of the final tables through our like mini leagues and just doing some commentary on it um i thought that would be very very fun um so i'm thinking about doing something along those lines as well just you know for the ones that i don't make so hopefully i won't be streaming too often but um you know i guess i guess we'll see about that uh, <laughs> but yeah just i i think again just just wanting to be fun and be light you know i think you know yeah i can i can add some analysis into the hands but you know also wanting to be fun and um you know 
give some different um, perspectives rather than you know something a bit bland um, in regards to uh, commentary on some of the some of the games. I think. Cool. Oh, cool. Uh, well, Luke, uh, you know one of the ways we kind of like to um, just sort of wrap up these interviews is just to ask, you know, uh, how can people uh, kind of stay connected with you if they if they want to? What's the best way to get in touch? What's the best way to find you or learn a little bit more about your poker adventures? Uh, what, what's the best way for people to sort of to, to find more about Luke? <laughs> sure. Um, so I, I'm pretty active. Uh, well, I'm more active on Instagram and, and, and Facebook, but um, so Instagram, uh, and generally my online handle is kingofnaps87. Um, you know, just just a little bit of a... Uh, uh, fun. I, I tend to like sleep in everywhere, so um, and kind of fall asleep <laughs> anywhere. It. So um, yeah, so I, you know, I thought it was like a fun little handle that I could kind of go by, and then obviously, you know, I don't know whether it's taken in some places. So you've got to put your birthday at the end. So um, yeah, so King of Naps eighty seven um, is generally my online handle on like Twitter or um, Twitch or uh, Instagram. So um, yeah, if you do want to get onto me on any of those, or you know, hey, look, if you want to add me on a friend on Facebook do that as well i you know i'll add you not a problem cool cool well luke this is a real pleasure i, I was uh really uh looking forward to uh this and i and thank you for joining us this week um we, it was r- really a treat to get get to know you a little bit better yeah th- thanks again for having me on I, I so love to do this again at some point in the future and you know i think like the time just flew by I, you know just look down at the clock oh wait the, the session's over but um <laughs> you know i i'd never I actually really enjoy the game. I think like that's been a thing for, I've been playing for 15 years and I still, you know, love playing. I love, you know, the mindset, I love getting into people's heads. And, and, you know, I think that's, you know, a key thing for me. So, you know, you kind of see that passion come out when I talk about poker and I can talk about it for a long time. So <laughs> just, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely hold you to that. I mean, we, we, we have, uh, we'd love to have our guests come back and kind of catch us up on, on where their story has continued. So that, that seems like a, a good plan. Uh, great to hear it. All right, cool. Cool. Well, Legend, thanks, thanks, thanks again. Um, and we're going to uh, transition over um John, uh, why don't you catch us up a little bit about what's been going on with the home games this week? Well, I'm going to start by interrupting myself Ooh. and mention a reminder to people that when this comes out, you might have just a day or two left to get your picks in for Marek Madness. You have to have your picks in before the game is uh, the first game are aired on March 1st. So second. if you want your count or March 2nd. Yeah, there's been a little confusion. They've been, but, but it is Thursdays in March starting March 2nd. Oh, and March 2nd is a Thursday. It is. See, I, I've been using last year's calendar. Yeah. March 1st was floating around, but it is March Thursday, March 2nd. All right. So anyway, make sure you get your, uh, picks in before then if you want them to actually count then on february 13th for the tournament of champions k poker wannabe ron payton won their first tournament of champions and the coveted silver silver pin pin. nice nicely done then we have mezzodana dana craven won her first nightly tournament for the year now then kb won his first nightly tournament for the year spot conlin Won their first nightly tournament for the year. 
Roadstar 33 won their second nightly tournament for the year. Everest Paws, Matthew Craven, got their very first rec poker win. Wow. Say that name again? That's not a name I, I recognize. Everest Paws, Matthew okay. Craven. They wow. just signed up like wow. two days before congrats, they congrats. won their first tournament. So that's I, lo- a, I love it when we get a new winner in there. Yeah. PCS 2005, Jack LaRue got his second victory for the year. Digging Eight Graves won the Daily Mixed event for the first time this year. Max Chaos 2112, Greg Clem got his second uh, international victory for the year. Good old Greg, uh, the interview master. Yes. A big deal. Brian DeHaven got his first international victory for the year. And then none other than Pet Vet 33, Kim mm. Kilroy, got her won the LPP tournament. Oh, so on. she can contact no. Jim at Rec.Poker for her free month at we Learn Pro Poker. We don't need her getting any yeah, better. I, seriously, on. does she need any more <laughs> access to training sites? Like, shouldn't she be running her own training site at this point? Well, she kind of is helping to. <laughs> no, yeah, that's true. Good point. Good point. <laughs> um, and that's her 38th lifetime victory. Wow. So wow. she's starting to sneak Look up. Look out, on... Evil Roy. Look yeah. out, Evil Roy. Uh, well, thanks, John. Um, so what, what else is going on in Rec Poker? I mean, I think that 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 my Rec Madness is coming. I think that's the thing that we really uh, did want to emphasize. Um Again, Thursday, March 2nd, every Thursday in March, we'll be boiling 16 uh, competitors down to one finalist, all heads up action, all broadcast on Twitch. Um, It's a really fun thing. We're going to have some guest commentators. Um, Taylor Moss does a great job uh, organizing this whole thing and kind of doing all the commentary for it. It's a really fun time of year. So uh, join us for that. We get some good crowds for it. Uh, It's fun to be in the audience just kind of chat obey around it. So uh, be sure you're marking off some time on Thursday nights um, in uh, March. Um, Rob, what's going on in, in your neck of the woods in rec poker land? Well, we, we do the book study on the first and third Wednesdays every month. And this we're studying right now. We're studying the poker brain by Matt Matros. Interesting book. I think it's uh, really a good way for the recreational players to begin to understand the concepts of GTO poker. Mm-hmm. Uh, he puts it, you know, I, we did modern poker theory, and you really had to, uh, you really had to put on your thinking cap to get through that one. Whereas this is, he kind of puts it in terms that you can understand as a recreational player and start to apply those concepts as you play. So I think it's really a worthwhile book. I think it's it's very apropos to the rec poker community. And I encourage everyone to join us on the first and third Wednesday at, I believe it's uh, 6.30 Central Time. Yeah, that, I, I got to say that that is uh, one of my favorite books that's come out recently, the, the Poker Brain. It's it's. Uh, it's got some really great content, um, and the the GTO side of it, I think it helps clear it up. But my favorite part of this book is part that you haven't even got to yet, uh, which is the he's got at the last part of it. He talks about exploits, um, yes. and it's some of uh, some very interesting ideas uh, at the end of this book that maybe you haven't heard before. I think so. It's the uh, keep keep joining us for that. I think it's worth worth worthwhile. 
And uh, Chris, what have you got coming up in the deep dive, mate? Uh, yeah, so thanks for asking. So I kind of mentioned uh, seabedding. Uh, so in February, uh, we did um, our look at seabed sizing. So we looked at, um, we were looking at all the different types of approaches to sizing um, as we reach uh, the flop with initiative. Uh, and in March, we're going to continue. This was such a deep, rich topic, and we just kind of ran out of time. We felt like this really needed two months to cover it. Uh, we're going to keep going with seabedding, but now we're going to really start looking at ranges. So we've talked about what is the kind of flop where we want to do a really tiny bet or a kind of flop where we want to do a really big bet. But we obviously don't want to do that with our entire range uh, just because we get one of those flops. So now we're going to say, okay, we get one of these queen deuce deuce boards or we get one of these 10, 7, 4 rainbow boards, which was the one where we talked about where we might want to go big on. Um what are the kinds of hands in our range that actually take that action? Uh, and then what do we do with the rest of our range? And then and then we're going to continue that into the following couple of months. We're going to talk about turns and rivers. Okay, now you've you've kind of crept off this ledge and you've made this big giant bet on a 10-7-4 board, but you've never done it before because you've always been accustomed to just doing that little quarter size C bet. Okay, now what the heck do you do, right? You hit a turn, like no, you got called when you made the, they're supposed to fold, I made the big bet, they're supposed to fold, now they called, now what do I do? So that's what we're going to keep talking about uh, in the coming months. So this will be a kind of a coordinated piece where we're kind of going through the flow uh, post-flop uh, through each of the streets as we kind of like examine our bet sizing, our ranges, and how we how we get get ourselves basically either to showdown or, or hopefully end the hand a little earlier if we can. Um, so, uh, with that, uh, anything else in that we need to, to cover? All right. Well, uh, I want to thank, uh, everybody who joined us tonight, our audience. I want to thank, uh, John, Rob, Troy, and especially Luke for joining us. Uh, I want to thank, uh, all of our rec, uh, rec co poker members, running this hotel racetrack and uh, and everyone else, uh, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week.